Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, sorry I couldn't be with you in person uh, this morning. Uh, I have had close contact with someone who tested positive for COVID, so we want to keep everyone safe. And so um, I'm phoning in, so to speak, uh, this this sermon this morning. Reminds me of what we did a year ago. We did these uh, every single week. And um, kind of brings back fond memories of recording, although it's been a year and uh, I wish that the pandemic was behind us. Uh, soon, uh, we're all praying. Uh, we're in the book of Hebrews, and I believe that uh, Lori showed you the uh, video uh, that gives us an overview of the whole book, and so that'll be some good information. Um, go to uh, BibleProject.com. That that, their videos and their instruction are fantastic. So uh, please, uh, you know, go ahead and watch it again and uh, uh, look it over in detail. We'll be in Hebrews for a while. I have not uh, studied Hebrews before uh, in depth, and it's blowing my mind so far. I love it. It is a sermon, by the way, and it's written to a congregation. And because it's written to a congregation, because it's a sermon, um, it is dealing with uh, the needs of that congregation, and they're struggling. They're going through trial just as many of uh, us are as well. And so it's going to be very timely and it's going to be very relevant uh, to our lives. And I'm, I'm noticing that as I begin my studies already. Last week, we uh, just uh, dealt with the first three verses. We're going to take some bigger chunks today. Um, but those first three verses are very important. And one of the things that we mentioned uh, last week is that this uh this sermon of Hebrews, written decades after the resurrection, still looks back to the resurrection as this defining moment. The resurrection is still uh, the good news. It is the central news. It is the one piece of news that the author wants us to focus all our gaze upon, and that is Jesus, uh, resurrected from the dead. Um, <clears throat> but there's competition for that spot, right? I mean, uh, there's news everywhere. There's news of many different things that are competing for our attention. Uh, things that want to uh, steal our gaze away uh, from Jesus. And we all struggle with that. We all go through uh, times that are difficult and it's easy to get fixated on bad news uh, rather than good news. And, you know, I was thinking about this uh, uh one of the things I notice if you watch the nightly news, I, I don't do that very often, but um, it seems like one of the things that you see in the nightly news is that there's all this news going, going on around the world and they have the big stories up front in the beginning of the hour. And then when they close, they usually do some sort of feel-good uh, news story about some uh, single mom who's trying to raise her kids and she's dealing with financial stress and maybe health issues or the kids dealing with health issues, but they overcome and uh, get that um, scholarship to the dream school, you know, whatever the story is, there's some sort of feel good story. And it's so interesting to me that if this is such good news, why isn't that, why don't they lead the story? Why don't they lead the hour with those good feel good stories? And the reason is, is because the squeaky wheel gets the oil. In other words, bad news is good for business. Bad news steals our attention. Bad news just wants to grab our attention and uh, take it in its own direction. 
Uh, when I was a freshman at uh, Springfield College, I lived in a dorm that uh, was one of the older dorms on campus, and it had single rooms available uh, where the room was smaller. The dorm room was a lot smaller, uh, but they were singles. You didn't have uh, a roommate. And as freshmen, you know, you just didn't have access to those rooms. And I, I really wanted my own room. You know, the, the introvert that I am, I wanted that room uh, for myself. And I just, uh, I went to the RA, I went to the RD, I went to the dean, I went to all these people. And I just kept going and going and going and going until it finally they just gave up and gave me a room uh, when it came available. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. And the squeaky wheel oftentimes is bad news. The trials and the tribulations and the heartache and the unexpected setbacks that this congregation and Hebrews is facing and the, the, that we all face, they steal our attention. And the, um, the author of Hebrews, the preacher here of this sermon, wants to set our gaze back on to Jesus. And so we're going to get into that, and we started with that last week, and it was just these seven affirmations about Jesus that were just one after the other, just getting our gaze on Jesus and focusing it there, and it's going to continue uh, through this book. And in chapters, uh, the rest of chapter two, and in or the rest of chapter one and chapter two, um, we're going to see that next section where the, the author of Hebrews is going to start talking about angels of all things. And uh, this is really not a sermon about angels. Those are the, you know, the sort of topics that are real popular in youth groups, and we all want to learn more about angels. They're so mysterious. But we're not really going to learn a lot about angels. We're going to learn a lot about Jesus. And uh, that's where uh, the writer of Hebrews wants to keep our gaze. Um, <clears throat> when I was reading this commentary, and when it talks about this congregation and what they're going through, uh, it talks about the struggles they're having. And, it's, and this one author says this, the problem lies deeper. It's in the will. The acids of life the acids of life have eaten away at their confidence, the congregation's confidence. Uh, the grind of daily trouble has fatigued their faith. They know what the gospel is. They just don't trust it any longer. How can they go on believing what is preached when everything around them seems to deny it? And I love that quote because that is the way we feel sometimes we look at the world the squeaky wheel gets all the oil and the squeaky wheel is bad news you know trial tribulation pandemic financial uh, struggle racism um, all these things are grabbing for our attention and then the, just the personal things that we deal with um, uh, relationships that are in trouble um, <clears throat> finances are in trouble all these sort of things they grab our attention. And then we look at a crucified Jesus, a bloody Jesus on the cross, and we think, this doesn't seem uh, like it will rise us above the troubles of the world. This seems like a picture of a person who is uh, beaten up by the world. This is a picture of uh, Jesus who had a, a bogus trial. This is a picture of Jesus who was wrongly accused. This is a picture of Jesus who... Um, just doesn't seem to rise above all the bad things that the world is throwing 
at us. So why bother? Why bother? And we're tempted to uh, look to other things that are going to help us uh, rise above our trials. Um, and we see that everywhere around us. We want something that's going to help us transcend uh, the trials and the tribulations that we are feeling that is felt, almost physically felt and emotionally felt and psychologically felt in our world. We want something that's going to help us uh, transcend all that. And um, when we look at a what appears to be a defeated Christ on the cross, it just doesn't seem like it's going to get us there. So we pursue that in a whole bunch of uh, ways. Um, uh, we might just throw ourselves into humanitarian effort, you know, believe we're making the world a better place. Um, maybe we get into some sort of spirituality. We're going to talk about angels here, uh, focusing our gaze on some sort of transcendent spirituality that is uh, beyond what we feel and hear um, every single day, beyond the trial and the, and the, and the hardships that we feel. Um, I, I, yeah, I hear people talk about this. I've have a, I have a friend um, that has told me that nature is where they, you know, that's their God. That's where they find God, out in nature. And I think, well, that's, that's great. You know, I think I feel really connected with God in nature, but nature itself is not God. And it's very convenient to have nature as a God because that tree is not going to correct me when I'm, when I'm hurting someone. You know, it's not going to speak any sort of exhortation into my life. And so we seek out these convenient things. I think of all the memes on Facebook that are, you know, kind of live your life, be the parents that you want your kids to be. There's all these feel good things that people are throwing out there or pursuing. And I believe that it's, it's, it's obviously just an attempt to rise above what our world is throwing at us, these trials and tribulations. Well, this congregation is going through the same thing. And as we get into chapter one and two, um, we're going to see how the preacher deals with that, how, they, how the preacher turns their gaze back to Jesus, right? They turn their gaze back to Jesus um, and not just the, the, the defeated Jesus on the cross, not just the cross, but the resurrection and Jesus even before his uh, incarnation. So that's what we're going to get into. And so this is, this is good for us. Uh, this will speak to us, I hope. And uh, I hope it gives us some, um, you know, some hope and some uh, place to, to place our faith moving forward, that we can check ourselves, that we're not turning our gaze to other things and just focusing on the bad news out there, um, any trials that we're going through. So we launch into Hebrews and uh, we continue where we left off. And I'm just going to read a portion of Hebrews. Uh, this is Hebrews 1 verses 4 to 9. And the, the, the author goes on and says, This shows that the Son is far greater than angels, just as uh, the name God gave him is greater than their names. The Son is greater than angels. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, You are my Son. Today I have, be I have become your Father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all God's angels worship him. Verse seven, regarding the angels, he says, uh, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice 
and you hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Now, if we just stop there, the whole of verse of uh, chapter one is like this. He goes on and talks about angels. Angels this, angels that, Jesus this, Jesus that. And it's all this comparison between angels and Jesus. And so, and, and also the quotes are sort of uh, taken out of context. They're, the words are changed a little bit. And anyone who's been to seminary, like we have a few people in our congregation have been to seminary, would know that our professors, if we treated the Hebrew, if we treated passages like this, they would hand the paper back and say, go write it again. This is not a good way uh, to read scripture. And so what is going on here? Number one, uh, about the quotes and how they seem uh, taken out of context and um, sometimes slightly misquoted, um, it's important to realize that what the, what the preacher is doing is not entering into this deep theological um, uh, treatise on angels and Jesus, okay? Uh, we're not going into some deep um, conversation about the nature of angels and how uh, these Hebrew uh, passages uh, work in their context. That's that's not what's going on. Um, you would you would probably uh, recognize when someone says um, when they feel like they're being and uh, they're being judged unfairly, they would say uh, they would quote Jesus. You know, uh, judge not lest you be judged, okay? We hear this all the time from Christians, non-Christians alike. They quote Jesus, uh, judge not. You know, Jesus says not to judge. Now, we all know if we've read that passage in Matthew that there's more to it than that. Um, in fact, Jesus is teaching us how to assess situations, how to, how to make proper judgments. And the warning there is that the judgment we pass on others is the same standard that will be given back to us. And if we unpack that and look at the context, there's more going on. But what we hear from people is just a piece of it, right? Judge, lest you be judged. Don't, don't judge, lest you be judged. And so people are quoting just a piece of it. And because we're familiar with it, we know the essence of what they're saying. That is what's going on here. These passages about Jesus being greater than angels are passages that this congregation would have been very familiar with. The Hebrew Bible, the Psalms and the Prophets and this, you know, the book of Exodus and Genesis are their Bible. This is where they go, the, the Hebrew Bible, to understand Jesus. And so they would have been very familiar with all of these passages. And so the writer here is just touching on them. He's um, he's not just trying to, you know, um, do a detailed analysis of these passages. He's whipping out these things about Jesus and angels and um, not really treating them very carefully. Uh, but that's because they're already very familiar with all of these things um, that they would have been taught in church. So if, if we're wondering why they seem to be treating these passages so haphazardly, that is why, okay? And it's maybe that judge not lest you be judged would be a good example of that for us. Um, so what is going on with angels? Some have thought that maybe there's some sort of uh, theological problem that these people don't really understand. They need to correct their understanding of angels. 
But the, what's odd is that after chapter two, that whole discussion of angels just drops off. It just goes away. And if this was a deep problem that they needed to understand theologically, you would think that it would continue throughout the book. So it's not that. And I think what's going on here, and what a lot of scholars believe, is that you know angels, the picture of angels is clean, it's nice and neat, they are elevated, they transcend our daily existence, and there seems to be um, uh, this focus on angels because our focus, the, the, the congregation's focus on the crucified Christ is not very inspiring. So like I mentioned before that we see in all different ways in our own culture, they're trying, this, this congregation that's suffering and struggling is trying to put their gaze onto something that's going to lift them up above their trial, lift them up above their tribulation, lift them up beyond what they see, like we see in the news, right? The news is going to report, bad news is good news uh, for a news organization, right? The news organization, their, their business is not, their job. Their job is not to report the news. Their job is to make money for their employer, and and bad news sells money. And so, um, that's the struggle that these people are having as well. They're looking around the world and they're saying it is broken. And with the crucified Christ, I just don't see the hope. You know, this doesn't look like it's going to lift me up. So there seems to be some sort of focus on angels in this congregation. And I believe it's this real human desire to sort of, I need something more, right? And these are Christians, so let's be real specific. As a Christian, I feel like I need something more. I'm looking around at the reality around me, the reality of our world, and what the Bible's teaching me, and it doesn't seem to line up. It just doesn't seem like God is there. And so the author here is trying to make a connection with Jesus higher than angels. If you think that angels are transcendent, if you think that angels are inspiring, if you think that angels and our focus on that can lift us and help us to transcend our, our current reality that is very troubled, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than that. He's reminding them through these passages that they've learned that Jesus is greater. And let's be uh, specific about this. What he's talking about here is Jesus before the incarnation. All right, so before Jesus ever pooped in a diaper, before Jesus ever, as a toddler, fell and scraped his knee, before Jesus learning the trade of a carpenter ever hit his thumb with a hammer, before Jesus became human, he's greater. And so there's this connection, the human Jesus, the crucified Jesus, and the, the, the author is trying to make a connection with Jesus, you know, greater than angels. There's angels. And there's Jesus greater than angels. And so there's the, the author's trying to lift their gaze and to try to lift our gaze up to this glorious um, Jesus before he ever became a human, okay? So that's what's happening with the angels. And when we get into chapter two, it's gonna break it down. And this is amazing. It's amazing what happens here. So we go to chapter two, verse one. Because there needs to be this connection. And what does that mean for me, right? And that's what a good preacher is going to do. What does this mean for me? So they say, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. 
Verses two, this is uh, chapter two, verse one. Or we may drift away from it. Like he's saying, don't forget that Jesus is greater than the angels. We don't want to drift away from Jesus, right? We must listen very carefully, truth we've heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message of God, the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. This is referring back to Exodus, right? So Moses, um, the law that Moses gets, the Ten Commandments and all the, the 613 commandments that Moses comes down from the mountain of God on Sinai, um, it's delivered through angels. And that's where that, that phrase is coming from. Um, the, the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And by the way, at the resurrection, at the empty tomb, it's angels that are there giving the message about Jesus. The message delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. So what is what is he saying here? It talks about God's punishment. You know, that those kind of things make us feel uncomfortable. Um, and I think that what's going on here is he says, if you know your Hebrew Bible, we know that God laid out uh, this relationship with the Israelites. Uh, the angels handed down this message from, to Moses. And I think all, all he's saying is that, you know, that stuff came true. If Israel didn't follow through in this relationship, they got sent into exile. Um, what he simply, I don't think the focus is on God's punishment. The focus is on that God's word is true. This, this message delivered by angels about God, about Jesus, has stood firm in the, in the past. We've seen it happen. Like what God said happened. And so we can trust it, is what he's saying. <clears throat> he goes on and, and we see, uh, well, we see this, the beginning of this idea of seeing and hearing, right? At the end of this, he says, the, the, sal the great salvation that was announced by the Lord Jesus himself when he delivered um, to those who heard him speak, okay? We're going to see this play on seeing versus hearing, right? We always heard that seeing is believing, right? And what the author is going to tell us is that hearing is believing. Because what we see in our world is a world that's broken. We see a world that uh, needs healing. We see a world that um, is not nice to one another. We see a pandemic. Um, that's news. That's the news right? That's what we see. And our tendency is to believe what we see. And he's going to say that faith comes by hearing, right? We need to remember what we heard about Jesus. And he begins by the angels saying that, you know, Jesus is greater than angels. I know you think angels are really cool and uh, they really, uh, you really want to learn more about them. They're mysterious. They can lift us above, you know, maybe uh, there's something transcendent there we can grab onto, but Jesus is greater. Remember what we heard. Remember what we've been taught. Jesus is greater than the angels, okay? He goes on in verse six. He says, for in one place, the scriptures say, this is Psalm eight, by the way, what are mere mortals that you should think about them or son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. 
You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all, okay. So we quote Psalm 8, and this is the arc of the entire passage in chapter 2. This is, in Psalm 8, it's referring to humanity. But in here, the, the, the author is referring it to Jesus, the ultimate human, so to speak. You made him, or you made them, a little lower than angels. And uh, our version is unfortunate here because it should read in the singular. You made him a little lower, the son of man, a little lower than angels. So what he's saying is that you have this great person. You have Jesus, the ultimate human being. But for a little while, you made him a little lower than angels. And then it refers to this great uh, justice. You crowned him with glory and honor. So what we're going to see is this ark. What we're seeing, what that congregation is seeing, is Jesus on the cross. And it's not very inspiring because they feel like they're on the cross. They're struggling. How is this person, falsely accused, bogus trial, crucified by the Romans, how can he bring me uh, inspiration? He's quoting Psalm 8. It says, he was greater than the angels, for a little while became lower than angels, but you crowned him with great glory. And so we're, we're getting this ark of salvation. We're going to call it the ark of salvation. What they've seen is only down here. And the author is trying to connect these pieces, the pre-existing glorified Jesus, the crucified Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, to give hope and meaning. Check this out. Now, when it says all things, this is the verse 8, it means that nothing's left out. In other words, he's saying all means all. All means all. But we have not yet seen all things put under his authority. He's saying, just wait, hold on. Don't jump to conclusions. We haven't seen the end of the story yet. We haven't seen all things put under his authority. We've seen some things put under his authority. We know what we've been taught. We know that some things, but not all things are yet. So you're looking out and seeing this world and you're seeing your trials and you're seeing your tribulations. You're like, where's the authority? Hasn't completely happened yet. Just hold your horses is what he's saying. Hold your horses. We haven't seen it all yet. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than angels. You think angels are great. We know that Jesus in his pre-existent state was above angels. And yes, we do see him below angels. He's acknowledging what they see. I love it. You don't see a falsehood. We just need more information to understand what the big picture of what's going on. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them to their salvation. He's saying that we are children, we are suffering. God wants to bring us to glory, but chose to make Jesus 
the person that does that. And he was made fit for that job through his suffering. Now, we look at this and say, what, he wasn't perfect before, but it doesn't have to do with his moral perfection. It doesn't have to do with his sinlessness. It has to do with his readiness to be a leader. How can he lead if he doesn't suffer? And that's what we want. We want a leader. We want someone who's going to lift us up above this world that is so broken and our broken lives and make us whole again and lead us through. So Jesus, because of his suffering, is made a ready and fit leader to do just that, just that, to bring us to our salvation. Now, as we close down this passage, it says, because God's children are human beings, verse 14, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. He had to die in order to free us from these challenges, in order to free us from the power of death, the power of those broken relationships, the power of that financial stress, the power of everything that brings death into our lives. Jesus had to go there to lead us through. So he's, he's validating what they see in this crucified Jesus, but he's informing them of the true power in that. The Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only, only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So now Jesus is looked at as a liberator, someone who comes down, comes marching in, experiences the kind of death that we experience so that he can lead us out. So he's fit, he's able to do that. We also know at the end here, there's a little change. Verse 16, we also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could, he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Now, you expect when he's talking about this art, Jesus coming down, experiencing death as a human and leading us out as a liberator, that we get to this point where Jesus is king, but he doesn't go there. Jesus is a priest. A high priest. Now, this idea of priest is going to be played out through the rest of the book as well. But the point there is, I don't, I can't relate to a king. I don't know what a king, I'm a subject, right? I mean, we live in a democracy. I don't know what a king is. But even if you lived in a world where there were kings, you probably wouldn't know what it's like to be a king. But everyone in that world knows what it's like to relate to a priest. Because it, they had priests in all their temples in all their synagogues, you know, in the temple, but in other religions, other religions.